This is Got Moke. My name is Moke. Thank you for tuning in. This past week, I caught up with Brett and Mackey for a conversation about the NHL playoffs and the Ottawa Senators' offseason plans. Here's that conversation. So joining me on the line, we got Brandon Mackey from uh, the Silver 7 and the Internal Budget Podcast. How are you doing? I'm good, man. Thank you for having me. Appreciate you being here. Uh, so one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on today is I know you've uh, discussed uh, how the NHL has handled the COVID-19 situation. So I was wondering, uh, how would you rate how well the NHL has handled it and uh, the return to play so far? Uh, it's tough to give it a rating because it's it's such an unprecedented situation. Um, there's nothing really to compare it to. I think overall they've done the best they can. I think shutting down when they did was 100% the right decision. And it probably, um, I don't want to say something dramatic, like it saved lives, but it definitely, uh, it definitely probably helped their cause uh, in terms of return to play. I think right now, and this is something I talked about on the last episode of my podcast was because they're not centralized, because you have players all over the continent, it's really hard to have that streamlined approach that the hub cities gives you. So when you get everyone to the hub cities, you know where they are, you have them all together, and you know that you can do everything in your power to prevent people from getting sick. But when you guys have guys training in Toronto and Pittsburgh and Florida and whatever, and it's really hard to keep track of. So I think for the way they're doing it, it's it's the best you can hope for. I think they do have to at least try to come back. So... <sighs> It's definitely not perfect, but it's hard to fault them too much. I think they're a victim of circumstance more than anything. Uh, we did have a few breakouts that in Tampa Bay, I, I guess, like a lot of weeks ago. And then uh, this in, again in St. Louis just a couple weeks back. Uh, I think it was reported up to 12 players tested positive. Uh, obviously, they ended up shutting down practice, but we've not really heard anything coming out after that. Do you think the NHL is kind of tried to hide what's been going on or do you think they've been handling the protocols pretty well I, I don't think they've been trying to hide what's going on they, they've been pretty upfront about how many players and staff have tested positive they've stopped short of naming names which I think is a good thing and I think most people think is a good thing so yeah like like I said you have outbreaks in places where um, in cities where there are outbreaks throughout the entire area, like St. Louis is having some trouble right now. The entire Missouri area is Florida. We all know is one of the biggest hot zones in the U S right now. So it's, so it's just, it's only natural that guys are going to get sick in those spots. Um, so no, I don't think the NHL's shied away or is trying to hide anything. I think they're just doing their best to roll with the punches right now. Yeah, that makes sense for sure. Uh, in terms of getting uh, to these bubble cities, uh, what are your expectations for the living conditions? Obviously, we would have seen what happened with basketball in terms of like the food, but they also have a really nice looking lounge area. What are your thoughts there? I think they're going to take care of the guys. Um, one thing people have to consider is the players didn't have to come back. You know, if they hadn't unanimously voted amongst themselves to not be there they wouldn't be there so they've had a say in everything that's gone on there's no dress code for the players in uh throughout the playoffs and the reason for that is because the players said we don't we don't want a dress code you know it's summer we don't want to be dressing in three-piece suits like you know no dress code and the league said fine whatever uh so i think the players are going to be pretty well accommodated it's the best you can hope for being locked down in a hotel for a period of months right um i think i think 
I don't think it's going to be like a WNBA situation, but, uh, and it may not be Disney world like the NBA is getting, but I, I think they're going to be pretty well taken care of. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously we would have, would have saw, seen uh, some of the teams and which hotels they're going to be staying at. I'm looking at Hotel X. I'm seeing Boston, Tampa Bay, Washington, Philadelphia, and Pittsburgh. And I would absolutely love for that to turn into a reality show. I think that is like an awesome assortment <laughs> of teams right there. Yeah, I think so too. It is, it, it's interesting having um, having rival teams in the same hotel. Uh, you know, when you talk about Washington and Pittsburgh, and I, I think they're going to be, um, I think they're going to be pretty cordoned off in the sense that they're not going to come into contact with each other. But it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see what happens when you know if you have Pittsburgh and Washington playing in a series down the line. Um, so I, I think it's going to be fun. I, I, I would love to have that kind of perspective, have that kind of you know. 24 seven reality show. Like you said, uh, I, I don't know if the current, uh, you know, coronavirus situation would allow for it, but I, I would, it, that's something I would pay to watch for sure. Definitely. And calling it hotel X, I think that's like the perfect name for all of that. Yeah, definitely. It's, um, look, it, it's like I said before, it's such an unprecedented situation that the best, the NHL can do is plan for everything they can. And when stuff goes wrong, because stuff will go wrong, they just have to roll with the punches. I think the best example that they can probably look to right now is the UFC. Uh, The UFC has done a really, really good job of keeping their athletes and their staff safe while putting on a show. Um, You know, the NHL is not in a financial situation where they can pack up and play their playoffs on an Island in Dubai or or Abu Dhabi or whatever it is. But, uh, but yeah, it's, I think the best thing they can do is just test aggressively as much as they can and just try to have fun with it. Like the hotel X thing, you know, having the rivals in the same hotel, that stuff's all fun. Um, You know, I I think the key thing, especially for the fans is going to be reminding them that this is playoff hockey and getting their minds off of COVID-19 will be making it as fun as possible. So I I like what they've done so far. I really do. And we've seen uh, what they've had planned out for the playoff schedule. And it looks like we're getting like nonstop hockey starting at noon Eastern and going all the way, I guess, until like one o'clock, whenever the late 10 o'clock game ends. It's a pretty packed schedule and I'm really excited to see what they're going to do with that. I am too. I am very selfishly excited by the prospect of watching hockey all day from August through through the beginning of October. Uh, my girlfriend's probably not so excited about it, but uh, I, I'm thrilled, especially now that we've gone, you know, since March without any kind of real, uh, well, any hockey anyway. Look, man, like I'm, you know, I, I cheer for the Ottawa Senators. I cover the Ottawa Senators, but at my heart, I'm a hockey fan. Playoff hockey is my absolute favorite time of year. I think it's the best TV sport on the planet. Um, And now we're talking about a situation where you're going to have games going on all day for at least, you know, the better part of August. Like that's, that's a dream scenario for me. It's going to be tough for the players having to go from no competition, uh, hardly any training to jump right into back-to-back games in this rapid fire schedule. But I think from a fan perspective, this is going to be one of the most interesting uh, and one of the most engaging playoffs that the league's ever done. Uh, Is there any concern of uh, maybe teams like Montreal and Chicago that 
were never really in playoff contention this year, maybe just kind of going through the motions and hoping for an early exit, even though they're going through all this training and preparation just to be there for these playoffs. I don't think so. These guys are professional athletes, right? Um, they're competitors. They want to win. Um, I And the other part of it too is if you're a lot of guys in those locker rooms, you don't necessarily want an Alexi Lafreniere you know, coming into the, coming into the room. Cause he, he could be taking your job. So like I said, these guys are competitors. They're trying to put food on their table and they're trying to make their money and they're trying to win a Stanley cup for, you know, there was an old song that hockey night in Canada used to play for the playoffs. It was called the chance may never come again. And that's true. Like um, some of the, a lot of these players have to be just thrilled with this whole play in format because it gives them a ticket to the dance, right? It gives them a shot just the slightest chance to go win a cup. So when you're talking about teams like Montreal, uh, who may not deserve to be there, I don't think there's any chance they take their foot off the gas. If they knock off, if they put their, if they put the pedal to the metal and they knock off a Pittsburgh in that play in round, they have a serious shot to go all the way. Um, you know, and, and we've seen anything can happen. Columbus swept Tampa last year after one of the best regular seasons in history. So, no, I think management may want to see that. They may want their guys to take their foot off the gas a little bit. But I don't think there's any chance that the players give it less than everything they have. Do you have uh, any early predictions for what's going to go down in the playoffs? Well, like I said, this playoff is so hard to predict. I think in a coronavirus-less world, I really had a good feeling about the Boston Bruins uh, going all the way. Um, Vegas is another team that really excited me, especially now because they're getting healthy. Uh, having a goaltending duo like Marc-Andre Fleury and Robin Leonard, they get Mark Stone back when he was projecting to be out till the beginning of the playoffs. I think those are two teams that you should still probably be looking at um, just based on talent and coaching. They're, they're both so deep. But you never know, right? Like a team like Columbus could make a run or even a team like the Leafs could make a run. We don't know what this is going to look like. We haven't seen these guys on the ice in months. Um, so the fatigue factor is not going to be there, but the rust factor may be there. Guys who were projecting to be out for you know a long period of time are going to be healthy again. So it's going to be really fun. Um, I think if I had to gun to my head, had to pick two teams, I would pick Boston in the East. And for whatever reason, Vegas gives me a really good feeling in the West. I really believe that they probably would have won the cup last year if that game seven against San Jose hadn't happened. Um, so yeah, if those would be my two teams that I would be watching very close, closely would be the Bruins and the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah, Obviously with that large break, it almost feels like we're coming into a reset, but at the same time, you have to keep in mind, like there are certain teams that, you know, have dominated that whole season that are going to probably come in and play very, very well. And like you said, Vegas and Boston, I think if we get that in the finals, that'll be an absolutely amazing series. I cannot wait to see Brad Marchand versus Ryan Reeves. That would be amazing. Yeah, the, the, that's what I thought my final was. That's what I thought the final was going to be last year. Um, when I made my bracket, I had Boston and Vegas for the for the cup. And it ended up being pretty close with Boston and St. Louis, right? I got, I got it half right. So... And especially when you compare them just throughout their lineups, it's it would be such an evenly matched competitive series. I think in terms of pure skill, you obviously got to give the advantage to the Bruins. Uh, having that top line of Bergeron, Pasternak, and Marshawn is just ridiculous. That line is a glitch. But you turn it over to Vegas, They've Vegas may have the advantage in goaltending. Tuka Rask is 
probably the best goaltender in the league right now, at least in the playoff. But that tandem of Fleury and Robin Leonard is something you can't look past. Mark Stone up front is an X factor on any team. Uh, I think Vegas's blue line is underrated. Anything can happen, right? Um, and, you know, for all we know, neither of those teams will make the final. For all we know, it'll be uh, Montreal in the final and, you know, whoever else from the West that nobody thought would make it. So it, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I think, you know, circumstances aside with COVID-19 and, you know, the, the horror that this global pandemic has been, this is a very unique opportunity to see something that you don't get to see very often. Uh, in the form of this modified playoff. So I'm I'm very excited for it. Yeah, and obviously both of us as hockey podcasters, this is going to be gold for us in terms of finding new things to talk about. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's going to be just content out the wazoo. <laughs> uh, looking into uh, the offseason, uh, specifically from an Ottawa Senators standpoint, is there any uh, certain things that you think that they're going to be having to do? or? Well, Ottawa's in a good spot right now where they don't really have to do anything, which is something that you really couldn't say over the last few years because they had to extend Thomas Shabbat and they had to extend, you know, Mark Stone and Eric Carlson. Um, I think their number one priority should be getting Brady Kachuk signed long term. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened this summer, but. Uh, by all indications, it may end up happening you know, next spring or something like that. Uh, I think from an organizational standpoint, putting aside the draft, um, I think Ottawa already knows the guys they're probably taking in those three and five spots. I think Brady Kachuk would be my number one priority. But another thing that may happen is... Uh, Anders Nilsson may not be healthy to go healthy for the start of next season. Uh, he's, it sounds like he's finally starting to recover from his concussion, but he's been off for a while. He's had lingering symptoms for months now. Um, so who knows, you may end up having to address goaltending. Uh, I think they're comfortable with Marcus Hogberg being a full-time goaltender next year, but do you want a full-time tandem of, you know, Hogberg and Decord? Like, I don't. I would rather Decord light it up in the AHL until we know that he's 100% ready. And who knows, if this year was a fluke and then you realize next year that Marcus Hogberg isn't going to be your starter caliber guy, uh, whether it's due to an injury or whatever, similar to what happened with Andrew Hammond, you need a guy that you can turn the reins over to. And Craig Anderson is, by all indications, going to be gone next year. So you may end up having to sign or trade for a goaltender um, Ottawa may end up signing Robin Leonard, you know? So, um, so right now there's, those would be, um, if I'm Pierre Dorian, those are the two things at the top of my list, aside from the draft, it would be getting Kachuk signed long-term and evaluating the health and the future of Anders Nilsson and any, um, any other decisions Ottawa would have to make in that wake. Yeah, I'm actually glad you brought up the Anders Nilsson thing. That was one of the things I was going to get to here. Uh, if Nilsson is definitely not ready to go for next season, is there a chance that Ottawa looks at Craig Anderson and thinks, you know what, can we just give this guy like one more year just for a little bit of stability? No, I don't think so. Um, and I don't think Craig Anderson wants to, uh, if that makes sense. Uh, you know, he's getting up there in years now. His game has taken a fairly noticeable step back on most nights. 
I think if anything, Ottawa would look to a guy that they can hang on to for at least a few years rather than a guy, a one year stopgap guy, a one year of, you know, a one year of a, an older and beat more beaten up Craig Anderson. <laughs> I think they would look, I would think they would probably look to the free agent market. They may even take a flyer on a guy like Leonard. Um, this is a conversation I had on Twitter the other day is you do have a wealth of young goaltending prospects. But goalies are voodoo, as people say. You know, you you never know how guys are going to develop. A lot of people had soured on Marcus Hogberg before this year. Um, so it, it may make sense for Ottawa to go grab a Leonard and at least, you know, have a sure thing in net while you build up the guys in front of them. But I don't think there's any chance Craig Anderson's back next year, no. Okay. And another guy that I've heard, uh, I guess, in the – trade rumors uh would be matt murray do you think that ottawa any chance that they would want to get him in a trade or well if you're talking pure talent then it's then it's definitely something i would look at it's definitely something pierre dorian should at least you know kick tires on i I like matt murray but he's been outperformed by tristan jari for most of this year uh so a lot of it would depend on price tag for me uh if you can get Matt Murray at a relatively cheap cost. Um, I would be okay with that. If they want to give up one of their second round picks um, and maybe a, another B level prospect for Matt Murray, I'd probably be all right with that. Uh, mainly because you are still going to have some measure of control if you're Ottawa, right? Like he's not hitting the UFA market right away. Um, you can kind of give him this year to evaluate him and then make a decision from there. So in that sense, it would be a low risk kind of move. Uh, but like I said, if you're the senators, you do have a lot of needs right now, one of which is in net, but you do need skilled forwards. So if you're going to be banking, uh, or if you're going to be shopping those draft picks, I would probably be looking more to the forward side of things. But if you can get Matt Murray, um, for a relatively low cost, I, I would do that for sure. Yeah, and Matt Murray being a two-time Stanley Cup winner, but of course it was with the Pittsburgh Penguins. I think whatever team he ends up on next, we're really going to see how good a goalie he actually is. Definitely. Um, like like I said before, goalies are voodoo, right? So you never know what's going to happen. Uh, I think he people may discount him because he did win those Cups for the Penguins, but he was the X factor in both those wins. Like we saw how the Penguins looked before Murray came in, in that 2017 series against Ottawa, Pittsburgh looked very beatable, right? Like (laughs) Ottawa, Ottawa had scored a good amount of goals the first few games, especially in that game three. So we, and that experience is something you can't replace, right? How many other goalies in the league have won multiple Stanley cups? There's not many and not many that would even, you know, that would be available. So especially at a young age, I think Murray is definitely a, a good uh, a good guy for Ottawa to look at. But like I said, everything for the Senators for the next little while is going to come down to price tag. It's going to come down to how much they're willing to give up and how much teams are asking them to give up. If you have, you know, if you have Pittsburgh asking for, say, an Alex Formanton for Matt Murray, I'm probably walking away from that. But yeah. But yeah, like if if it's a second and a, a B level prospect like a Davidson and maybe then another pick, then I, I would probably do it. Yeah, I'm right there with you on that. Uh, turning the page on to uh, some of the RFAs that Otto is going to look to resign this year. We've got 
Duclair, Connor Brown, Chris Tierney, Balsers, Paul, possibly Jace Harlock. Uh, out of those guys, which guys do you think will be back next year? Uh, I think Anthony Duclair and Connor Brown will absolutely be back. Uh, I think those are guys who factor into the long-term plans of the Senators, especially Connor Brown. I, I was so happy when it was announced that he was going to be included in the Cody CC trade. I think he's a dynamite forward to have in your bottom six. He gives other teams fits. He's just so valuable. Uh, and especially for the relatively low cost that he will likely end up being, I think he'll be around for sure. Anthony Duclair, a lot of people um, are maybe unsure about him because of how he performed in the new year. But once you get this guy line mates, right, he's going to he's gonna hit those third, that 30-goal production consistently. He was playing with Chris Tierney and Vladislav Nemestikov for most of you know, January and February. So it, it's no... It's no secret why his game probably took a step back and a lot of it was bad luck too so i think duclair is a guy i think nick paul and rudy balsers are both guys that i would 100 percent bring back um you can't replace sec good secondary scoring especially if it's homegrown right it's much better to get that from your own prospect pool than have to give up assets or give up financial uh, give up dollars on the free agent market to go get it tyranny i think i i, I don't know um Ottawa's got such a log jam at the center position right now. They've got, you know, they've got Norris, they've got Logan Brown, uh, you've got Tierney, you've got Anisimov, you've got Colin White. I don't know what Ottawa's going to do with him. I think uh, a likely scenario would be that he gets flipped at the deadline next year if the Senators aren't in contention, or at least in the playoff conversation, and maybe even then. Uh, but... I, he's not a guy that factors into the long-term plans, I don't think, but he's definitely not a guy who you just toss this offseason, right? Um, so, yeah, those would be the guys I would hang – I would expect to 100% be in Ottawa next season would be Duclair, Brown, Paul, and uh, Balsers. For sure. Uh, Tierney is definitely a bit of an underrated guy. I think he's still like a little bit proved, unproven because he's a younger guy as well. He seems to do a lot of the right things, but his production since coming to Ottawa has really gone down quite a bit, especially since Mark Stone's been traded away. It's it's inconsistency, right? Like he he'll have games where he looks like a top six forward, and then he has games where he makes you want to rip his hair, rip your hair out. And that's not a knock on him, right? Like it's really, especially you know, especially going back to last season when he didn't have DJ Smith and there wasn't that structure in place. So, like you said, I think that's a really good way to put it. I think he's relatively unproven as of yet. I think his ceiling is a good second-line center, but we'll see. Uh, Ottawa's in a position where they have a wealth of good center prospects, and who knows, you could have a Quinton Byfield coming in, in the, uh, coming in for next season or the season after, right? Uh, so that complicates things even further. I think Tierney, if anything, is a victim of roster construction, uh, I think if, if Ottawa trades him, there's a good chance that he goes on to have a good career as a top six forward. Uh, but we'll see, right? Like, is he Matt Duchesne? No, but, but I think he could top out as a good second line guy. So does he factor into Ottawa's long-term plans? Time will tell. A lot of it depends on the development of the prospects too, but I don't think you have to make a decision there just yet. Yeah. Especially since he's an RFA, there is a little bit more control there. Exactly right. So that's where uh, that's where Ottawa has the advantage in a lot of these 
and that's one of the advantages that comes with having young players, right? It's, you know, it's having that control. You know that Brady Kachuk is your most valuable player right now, and you know that he's not going anywhere for at least the next couple of years. So that, so that's probably why we haven't seen the Senators rush to any decisions just yet, um, especially not knowing how the playoffs or anything were going to shake down. I think we'll start to see things happen maybe through August and September, but time will tell. And there are two UFAs that uh, we have coming up this summer as well. And uh, Borvieski and Hainsey, I would expect Borvieski to probably re-sign on a bit of a long-term contract. And my hope, at least, is that Hainsey does walk away as a UFA, <laughs> being an older guy. And since Ottawa does have a lot of younger uh, defensive prospects. Yeah, it, it, look, if they bring Hainsey back next year, it's not the worst thing in the world. Uh, he's definitely not in his prime anymore, but you can't replace that guy's hockey IQ. Uh, that's one thing everyone within the Senators organization raves about is he is such an intelligent hockey player. DJ Smith said it's like having another assistant coach out on the ice. Uh, I remember there was footage from practice early in the year of Hainsey, you know, grabbing the marker and drawing on the whiteboard for some of the young kids, right? So, so if you bring him back next year, are you getting even a replacement level defender and maybe not, but he's a guy who is going to teach the younger guys, the Wolanans, the Shabbats and whatnot, valuable lessons about, and not just on ice stuff, just about being a pro. Uh, so I, I would honestly think there's a good chance Ron Hainsey is back next year because the organization likes him so much. I might expect him to play one more year and then transition to perhaps an assistant coaching role. But We'll see. Um, if he walks away, that wouldn't entirely surprise me either. Borvietsky, I think Boro will be back. I think, and that again, it's it comes down to leadership, right? Like the organization loves Boro. He's proven himself as one of the leaders on the team right now. Probably the de facto captain, if it's not Brady Kachuk. So I think he'll be back long term. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know how much the Senators will be willing to give out in the way of a long term deal. Uh, for a guy who's probably going to be nothing more than a seventh defenseman when this team is really competitive and when guys like Brandstrom and Wolanin and JBD and Lassie Thompson really hit their strides. But I, I would, if I had to bet right now, I would expect both those guys to be in Ottawa next year. Yeah, and if Hansey does come back, I'm not sure that I personally would see him being a guy in the main rotation. Maybe he transitions more into that seventh guy and that, he does end up being more of a healthy scratch and just kind of an all-around leadership guy to have around. Yeah, well, the good thing about him is he can play both sides of the ice. Um, he can, he's can he got experience playing the right side, and that's not something you want to force young players into right away. That's not something they would probably be eager to do with guys like Willannon and Brandstrom. So he's malleable in that sense where you can put him in different spots in the lineup where you need to. Um and, and again, a lot of it's going to depend on the prospects. Is it, It's going to depend on if Eric Brandstrom is ready for a full-time NHL spot. One guy we haven't talked about is Artem Zub, right? Like that's that's a guy who's going to be a, probably a full-time NHLer on the right side next year. So it's going to depend on his performance too. Uh, so we'll see. Does he become that seventh guy? Maybe. I would probably expect him to be more in the main rotation at the beginning of the year. But... I think Ottawa is in a position now where everything they do is going to come down to how their young kids are playing both in Ottawa and in Belleville. 
So it's very much up in the air in that sense. Yeah, I, th- I think next year is very much going to be an evaluation type year just to see where things are at. And uh, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see the prospects. Uh, with Zub, uh, I'm hoping he still comes over. I'm not sure if like the whole COVID-19 pandemic and the NHL essentially being delayed will affect that or not. But I, I do hope point. I have yeah. a chance to see him next year. He sounds like a really intriguing guy. Yeah, well, he's under contract, right? So so he'll probably be here um, unless there's some kind of issue where he can't travel to Canada or to the U.S. or wherever. But yeah, it, it's tough, right? Because you don't, it's not like evaluating a prospect where you have hours and hours of film to watch and tons of scouting reports to read through. These guys, when you're talking about these guys from Russia, you're pretty much in the dark. It's, you know, there's not a lot of film out there on Zub. There's not a ton of scouting reports on him. Um, from what I've seen, I've liked him. Uh, I think he's steady. I think his, he's got some decent offensive instincts. He's got a nice shot. So he's a guy I'm really intrigued to see how that game transitions. We know the transition from, uh, from Europe or even just Russia to the NHL can be difficult. Uh, it's a Nikita Zaitsev has kind of struggled in that sense, even though, um, you know, sorry, not to get too off topic, but when I had a when I had Jeff Fayette on my podcast not long ago, we were talking about Nikita Zaitsev, and um, he said Zaitsev really went downhill after he got hurt in his first year. I think it was his first year. He looked really good, and then he got hurt, and then after that, he's kind of always been a step behind. So who knows? Maybe Zub will come over, and he'll be a bona fide top four or even a top two guy. I think the best you're hoping for from an Ottawa sense is probably Dylan DeMello. Um, so I think if he, he even comes close to just the steadiness of Dylan DeMello, you don't care how many points he puts up. And he's a guy that will, will have been worth signing. I don't mind him. I think it's a good low risk signing, but we'll see how it plays out. Yeah. It's a one year, I think worst case scenario flip out at the deadline for like a seventh round pick. I'm sure there are teams out there that uh, might want a depth defenseman around that time. So why not? <laughs> Yeah, and even and even if that doesn't work out, you can just let him walk in the off season, and he can go back to Russia, or he can sign with another another team, or whatever. So it, it, it's in, in it's very much the same as the Duclair situation, where you know when they traded for him, he had a lot of baggage, obviously, but it was so low risk and high reward that you couldn't not do it. It was the perfect guy to take a gamble on, and look how it paid off this year. Uh, so hopefully it's a similar thing for Zub, where it's Ottawa's in a low risk, high reward situation, and hopefully they reap the high reward part of it. Uh, just before I let you go, there is one more topic I was hoping to cover. Um, it does sound like the NHL is going to the 2022 Olympics in the winter. Uh, I was just curious, right here, right now, how many Ottawa Senators do you think would be able to attend that Olympics? <laughs> You're putting me on the spot. Yeah, it's a tough question. Um, but... <laughs> Yeah, eh, I think there's I think you're going to see some guys from this year's draft class in that Olympics. I really do. So that will be that will play a part in it for sure. If we're talking about Ottawa Senators, I would expect to see Thomas Shabbat on Team Canada. I think that's an easy one. Um, I would probably by then expect Brady Kachuk to make the American team. Um Man, after after that, it gets tough because we the Senators don't really have game breaking talent aside from those two guys right now, right? Yeah. But maybe Marcus Hogberg plays out of his mind the next couple of years and he makes Team Sweden. Uh, maybe Eric Brandstrom does the same. 
I think the two guys I would be really confident in would be Kachuk and Shabbat. After that, Ottawa is so young that it's going to take time for guys to develop into that, um, into that sphere of being Olympic worthy. Right. Uh, so those would be the two guys I lock in right now, uh, that I would put my money down on are Kachuk and Shabbat. Yeah. Other than the guys you mentioned, I did have two more names that I jotted down here, uh, in terms of countries that have lesser talent. I think that if there is a team Latvia and hockey at the Olympics, we could very well see Rudy Balser. Oh yeah. Yeah. He'll be there for sure. If Latvia is there. Yeah. And then, uh, Denmark, uh, I think that by that point in time, uh, goalie prospect Mad Sogard could potentially be an AHL starter. So I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I don't think there's a whole lot of really good Danish goalies out there in the NHL. So, yeah, I don't. I don't know how many guys are in, in playing in Europe or places like that. Uh, so I, I, I don't know. But I think if we're talking just in terms of ceiling, Sogard would be a guy that could be there. He's got some work to do, right? He didn't have a he didn't have a great year this year, uh, and it's going to be dependent on how he makes the AHL or ECHL transition. Sometimes it takes goalies longer, right? Like Marcus Hogberg's in his mid twenties, and he's just became an an NHL starter this year. And there are still people that believe he hasn't established himself as an NHL starter. So yeah, like from those from those. I don't want to say lesser countries, but maybe that aren't, you know, the hockey powerhouses <laughs> that Canada and the USA are. I, I would say so. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like it, it, a lot of Ottawa's young players could be in that conversation for sure. Yeah. I just think it's kind of fun to do that kind of speculation. Obviously, if uh, Ottawa ends up drafting Stutzla, I think he's a lock for Germany as well. Assuming Germany is not going to be a better team than Canada in this Olympics. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And yeah, you could make the argument for uh, for even if the Senators get Byfield, who knows? Maybe he'll be on that team by then too. Yeah, uh, maybe even in just uh, an extra an extra player role. So, like I said, this draft class is so stacked that you have guys, especially within that top three, that very realistically could be top end NHL players in two years' time. So. It's definitely a fun little thought experiment, especially when you think about all the players that Ottawa could possibly draft within that top 10 alone, right? Like that combination of Byfield or Stutzel or Rossi or Raymond or, you know, Perfetti or Drysdale or whoever. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And that's why I'm really psyched for the draft in October. Yeah. And I think like to an extent, I'm more so excited about that five pick because it seems like, okay, at number three, you know, it's going to be either byfield or stutzla but at five you got like a lot of options it could be a sanderson or a drysdale it could be a rossi it could be a raymond so I, i'm really intrigued and i'm excited to see what happens there too me too i think that's the that pick that has the most potential for variation um the top 10 is especially the top five is full of guys like you could make the argument that lucas raymond is a top three guy in a draft that doesn't include byfield and stutzel or you could make the argument that he is a top three and that including uh and maybe you know he maybe he bumps stutzel or byfield or whoever there's so much room for you know guys to really outperform their draft position uh I think if I'm Ottawa, I'm hoping Quinton Byfield uh, falls to three. And that's not a knock on Tim Stutzel. He's a phenomenal player. I just think Byfield has a higher ceiling. But at five, if you don't get Byfield 
uh, and you need a center, you could go for a Rossi. And if you did get Byfield and you don't need a center, then you could go for a Raymond if he falls that far. So, yeah, like there's so many ways in which Ottawa could come out winners in this draft. As, and especially within that top 10, it is impossible not to be excited about it. Yep. It's going to be an exciting three months that we have to talk about it. So hopefully we'll, uh, we'll the October draft will come sooner rather than later. Yeah, I'm hoping the time flies by. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. So that's pretty much all I had uh, for today. Uh, did you want to give your uh, social media and podcast a plug? Yeah, well, thanks for having me, man. It was fun chatting with you. I'm happy to come on anytime you want. Uh, You find folks can follow me at Brandon Mackey 6 on Twitter. Uh, The podcast is just at Internal Budget. We have a new episode every week available on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. And, of course, make sure to check out the writing at silver7sends.com. It's the best Ottawa Senators blog out there, and I take a huge amount of pride in writing for them. So thank you again for having me, dude. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on, and I appreciate all your insights. It is awesome listening to your podcast, and I really enjoy all the writing on Silver 7. It's a really great resource. I appreciate that. Thank you again. Sweet. Thank you. And thank you again to Brennan Mackey for joining me on the pod this week. Make sure you give me a follow at Gomok on Twitter and subscribe if you like what you heard. I'll be back next week with Danny McCloskey to talk about goalie depth.